chapter 3, verses 6 through 18 is our focus. We will pray. We will read verses 6 through 18 and then probably wander into Romans. Just trying to do things the hard way. Father, we come before your throne. You, the author and the finisher of our faith. And Father, uh, we come needy. We come um, as your children. We come humbly. We come with adoration and love that you have poured in our heart through the Spirit. And Father, I'd ask that even now you prepare our hearts to hear. Father, give us eyes to see and ears to long for your righteousness, to long for your ways, your purpose. Father, as uh, I have lingered in this text, I am so encouraged by my brother Paul. I pray that my brothers and sisters here this day will be encouraged also by our brother Paul. And then, Father, we understand that uh, you make us adequate, servants of a new covenant. Father, help us to walk worthy of this tremendous honor, this tremendous privilege. And yet, Father, let our hearts be full of gratitude for the amazing things you have done. Father, for the amazing things you are doing. And, Father, for the amazing things that you will accomplish before you call your bride home. Thank you, Jesus. In Christ's name, amen. Beginning in verse 6, chapter 3, 2 Corinthians, who has also made us adequate as servants of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, and the Spirit gives life. But if the ministry of death in letters engraved on stones came with glory, so that the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses because of the glory of his face fading as it was, How will the ministry of the Spirit fail to be even more with glory? For if the ministry of condemnation has glory, much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory. For indeed, what had glory in this case has no glory because of the glory that surpasses it. For if that which fades away was with glory, much more which remains is in glory. Therefore, having such a hope, we use great boldness in our speech. And we are not like Moses who put a veil over his face so that the sons of Israel would not look intently at the end of what was fading away. But their minds were hardened. For until this very day, at the reading of the old covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because it is removed in Christ. But to this day, whenever Moses is read... A veil lies over their heart, but whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. For the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the spirit. A cursory reading of this, so you keep trying to figure out what in the world is he talking about. But I want you to think about it from this perspective again, okay? I started out a number of years ago in 1 Corinthians. And at that point in our lives, we were dealing with our personal holiness. Issues that deal personally with me. 
Okay, issues that deal personally with you. If you look at 1 Corinthians, you will see him dealing with the Lord's table. You read this morning, uh, 1 Corinthians 7, the role of virgins, the role of married, married to an unbeliever, and, and all the things that are laid out there. And, and that there was a pride issue that it was in the Corinthian church. All right, and it was because I can, or look at me, the perversion of the spiritual gifts is a pride issue. It exists today, and it is thriving. All right. Even when I look at the, the, the role of marriage and the husband and the wife, uh, it is corrupted today and it is always done because of pride. Okay. That is the root of all of it. And Paul wrote that first letter to deal with this, to lay it out. Okay. You, and we have a tendency as Christians to look at other people. Well, I am not that bad. Okay. Or I don't do that thing. And that ain't what the Bible calls you to. You stand before him in his judgment seat. We'll look at that in chapter 5 of this text. It's you. Okay? It isn't anybody else. You can't blame your wife. You can't blame your job. You can't... Well, I had to live in Colorado. That's just tough. Okay? You can't blame it. It is going to be you before God. All right? You, you know what is really cool about it? You can't even blame me. I like that idea. All right? But you know what? I can't blame you. All right? What happens after 1 Corinthians when you get the issues of you dealt with, now you have to move to ministry. That's 2 Corinthians. Now, you need to pay attention to this because this text is the most that he wrote to any one church in the New Testament between 1 and 2 Corinthians. All right, so we need to be aware of what he's writing and why is he writing. Now we're looking at ministry. Once I am squared away, okay, I am submitted to God. I am aware that I have this pride issue and I've got to keep it hidden. I've got to fight it. I've got to battle it. Once I understand that, then you start looking at what is ministry. And, and you know what? It's funny because most people who've grown up in the church or attend church, they go looking for, I would like to speak to the minister after the worship service. Well, let me tell you something. If you're saved today, that would be you. Okay? If you're saved, you are a minister of the Lord Jesus Christ. Period. It's non-negotiable. It's like I try to tell couples when they're thinking about marriage, the husband is the spiritual leader. Period. It's a non-negotiable. It has been that way since that guy, Adam. Okay? So you're always going to be the spiritual leader. The same thing that if you're in the body of Christ today. You are a minister. Now, you may not act like one. You may not talk like one. And you may not even believe that. It still doesn't make it not true. And when I read this here, you come out of chapter 2, he says, We are the fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. One is the aroma from death to death, to the other the aroma of life to life. Who's adequate for these things? Who's adequate? Who can be the aroma of Christ to a lost, depraved world and yet still be the aroma of Christ to God. Who's adequate? Where do you go to school for that class? And what happens if you only get a C in it? 
I'm just an average aroma. Okay? Our adequacy is from God, chapter 3, verse 5. But our adequacy is from God. He has saved us. He has redeemed us. He has regenerated us. And he has sanctified us so that we are now adequate for the task at hand. We are also made adequate as servants of a new covenant. A new covenant. And one of the things that I've been sharing with you guys, and I I hope that you have seen my passion, is this is one of the greatest ills in the church today. Is a lack of understanding what is the new covenant. And, and, and I see this over and over. He says there, but we are servants. The literal translation from the Greek language is, we are slaves. Slaves. We're not allowed to say that these days because it offends people. But the truth of the matter is, we are slaves. I am a slave to the new covenant. Okay? And one of the things that I have watched happen is that we miss it. And he contrasts the old covenant. Now understand, Paul says that the old covenant is true. The old covenant is good. The old covenant is righteous. Leviticus 18 says, the law of the Lord is the path of life. Okay, but what happens to you and I is I go back to 1 Corinthians. The greatest single issue in the Corinthian church that was trouble was pride. And one of the things that happens under the old covenant is your pride gets exposed. You know, if you take the Decalogue, the moral law of God, the Ten Commandments. All right. Well, see, I I haven't stolen. uh, I haven't murdered. I haven't committed adultery. I'm doing pretty good right now. Um, You know, for the most part, I have honored my parents. Or in some cases, you can say, well, my parents are dead, so I don't have to worry about that no more. Okay? And, and we kind of do that, and we say, well, that, that, that's not so bad. Okay, what do you do with the first one? Just do the first one. I was involved with the Columbine shooting. The, the day of that shooting, uh, I went down to the library and was there meeting with families and kids as they come back. And, and I spent a week down there, and, and that's when they had all the... TV trucks and cameras and everybody was doing these early morning things. And I remember sitting and talking to the district attorney and his name is Thomas. And he says, perhaps we need to put the Ten Commandments back up in our schools. (laughs) That was a very sad time. So I kept my humor to myself. Okay. And I thought. What for? What do you do with the first one? You will have no other gods before me. What do you do with that? How about you just put the five commandments up? Okay. Jesus summarized it. I will, you will love your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and your neighbor as yourself. Okay. And then the great debate starts. Well, who's my neighbor? It's easy. Anybody that ain't you, that'd be your neighbor. Well, you don't understand my neighbors. (laughs) You don't understand mine. Okay, I have a moat around my house. <laughs> but I love my neighbors. When I think about this, when I read this, it says, we are the servants of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills and the spirit gives life. He speaks of the old covenant, verse 7, as a ministry of death. 
Okay, he speaks of the old covenant in verse 9 as a ministry of condemnation. Yet, they both have glory. And that's one of the things that we've missed from the old covenant. And, and I want to deal with this a little bit. Because, see, the old covenant creates a living death. We looked at this last week. It's a living death. You know... When you look at the law of God, you can't do it. And it's cute because I watch some who still try. Bless their little hearts. But what happens is that we try to mold it into what we can accomplish. And we believe that God knows I worked real hard at this. So that ought to give me some grace points. And yet the law says, if you break any part of this law, you are guilty of the whole law. The other thing is, is that this ministry of condemnation and this ministry of death, it kills with the anticipation of eternal death. Um, When you've been in this church as long as I have, I have uh, uh, done some weddings and, and, and I've done some funerals. Okay, actually, I think I've done more funerals than I've done weddings. But anyway, and when you go to a funeral, it is extraordinarily easy to spot who's saved and who ain't. Okay, a saint can look at the loss of a loved one, knowing they love the Lord Jesus Christ and know that this separation is temporary. It's just a temporary thing. I'll see you again. I'll see you soon. All right. Those who don't know Christ. I don't care if they're active in church. I don't care if they're active in VBS or missions. Or, you know, I went down and laid a foundation in Mexico for uh, whatever. I don't care if they've done that. If they don't know Christ, that is a hopeless part. That is something that overwhelms them. They sit there and, and, to, and to use the great theologian's terminology they freak out and that's what they do and you can spot them you can tell a person paul told the thessalonians we don't grieve as those who have no hope and it doesn't say that the loss of a loved one doesn't hurt it's just it's just gonna be a temporary thing i'll see you soon But those who don't know Christ, those who are still under the old covenant are looking at eternal death and a complete alienation to God. And yet the law was gracious. The old covenant was gracious. Did you know that? God's grace starts in the book of Genesis. He starts out saying, do not eat of this fruit. Adam ate of it and immediately stepped in to what I call spiritual death. Okay, you know why I say that? He thought he could hide from God. How spiritually dead are you to think, let's go hide in the bushes. He won't find us. Right? It was already there. The spiritual death is spoken of. Let me take you over to um, 
Romans 9. Romans 9. Verse 31. Now, Paul here is contrasting the Gentiles to the Jew. In 2 Corinthians 3, Paul is contrasting the Old Covenant to the New Covenant. Okay, we looked at this in depth over these last few weeks. We looked in Hebrews 8, Hebrews 9, Hebrews 11, and we've seen that the Old Covenant is obsolete. Okay, but it has a purpose and it is still gracious. All right. Verse 31. But Israel, pursuing a law of righteousness, did not arrive at that law. Whoa. You know, he just said there. God's chosen people, the ones that the oracles of God were given to, had not arrived. They couldn't get there. They had the law. They had the writings of Moses. They didn't arrive. Okay, now, one of the things you need to understand, years and years and years ago, I I taught through the book of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew. And when you go through the Gospels, you run into the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Zealots and all these other things. And we all stand around like this and look at them. I can't believe them people. They're just mean old nasty people. Okay. Well, I got to spend a little more time with the Pharisees than I probably should have. But it prepared me. All right. Uh, They have some phenomenal writings. They have two books, two sections of books. One is called the Mishnah and the other one is called the Talmud. Okay, and you get writings on the insight of the Pharisees as they looked at the glory and the honor and the majesty of God. That will stagger you. Will just flat out stagger you. And yet, when God incarnate stood in front of them, they were clueless. They were clueless. These people had the word. They lived by the word. They were passioned by the things of God. I mean, zeal is an understatement. But Paul already says they had a zeal, but they were ignorant. Here he says, pursuing a law of righteousness, they did not arrive at that law. Pursuing righteousness by the law. They knew the word. They feasted on the word, and yet they never got it. These were not religious idiots. They didn't start their own little movement thing. They were following the word of God, and yet they didn't get it. Listen, the wall, the law has the ability to bring you to righteousness. Did you know that? It does it by showing your sin. In showing you your sin, it puts you in a place of despair that you come by faith and you throw yourself on the forgiving mercy and grace of God. That's how the law brings you to righteousness. One of the things that I see in the church today is that we don't confront sin. Okay? Now, everybody says, well, you guys have church discipline all right. I don't have to do church discipline. I bring the word to bear. 
If you're not saved, you will come to despair and you'll go find another church. There's like 54, 53 evangelical churches in, in Castle Rock. There's all kinds of places you can go. And if your sin starts bugging you, instead of repenting and pounding your chest as the publican and saying, have mercy on me, a sinner, you just go to another church. And if there is 54 churches, then you can go to a different church every Sunday for a year and never come to repentance. Okay, and you're no different than the nation of Israel. Because see, you know what the nation of Israel did? Instead of dealing with the moral aspects of the law and its condemnation, which would drive you to forgiveness and mercy. You've got to keep this in your mind. Moses asked God, show me your glory. And God says, I'll stick you in the cleft of the rock. And as I walk by, you will see my mercy and grace. His mercy and grace is part of his glory. But they didn't look at it. Go read the book of Jonah. Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. Why? Because he knew the mercy and grace of God would bring him to repentance and he'd save them people. And he hated them people. How can you save these people? They're killing the Jews. And he knew if you're going to send a prophet up there, that means he's already cut the path and daggone it, I'm going fishing. All right. God made him bait. And then spit him up on the shore of Nineveh. Indigestion. So what a rebellious prophet gets you. And the way the law leads you to righteousness and it fulfills its grace's purpose. The old covenant had a purpose. Remember John the Baptist? Okay. He had this baptism. And what was he saying? I baptize for repentance okay why remember when the pharisees came up you brood of vipers you bunch of snakes he's mean wasn't he and yet they wanted to be baptized into a baptism of repentance you know when i deal with the brothers in, in russia on a regular basis none of them ever accepted christ none of them ever received christ no none of them ever made a deal with christ they will always tell you i came to repentance Ta-da. we don't do that you're not even allowed to use repentance in the church in america today why there has to come a place there's people getting saved in the church in america today that don't even know what they've been saved from you know, I just said a prayer. You know, I walked an aisle. You know what? None of, neither one of those are biblical. True biblical salvation says, Oh, I am a sinner. I am an outcast. I am an enemy to God. I am alienated from God. Please have mercy on me. That is the new covenant. The old covenant takes us to the place that we know that we need a savior. Even though you couldn't be saved by obeying the old covenant because you couldn't obey it perfectly. 
You know, you may have never stolen. You may have never coveted. You may have never cheated. You may have never done this, murdered. And you may have honored your parents. But I know for a fact you have not loved the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. There ain't a person in this room that's ever done that. Even after you're saved, you don't do that. And yet the law would point out that at least I can go to God and I know that even in my imperfection, He will drive this law of His drove me to the righteousness available to God, all who would believe. But Israel, Paul says here, they never arrived at that. They never understood it. They never understood God's law. Okay, the purpose of God's law. Look at verse 32. How's come? Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as though it were by works, they stumbled over the stumbling stone. It was not pursued by faith. Instead of looking at the moral law and saying, whoa, I'm falling far short of this. You know, I'm a living dead man here. Be merciful to me, God. They didn't accept that side. They would flip the law to the ceremonial side. Now think about that. Okay, circumcision, how does that save you? You ever really thought about it? Well, you need your heart circumcised. Well, you missed. That's crazy. If you look at a woman and she has the ceremony after giving birth, okay, that she now has to become cleansed. Why? The birth event shows the curse that was put on Eve. Okay? Right? So she had to go offer up a pigeon or a dove and go through these washings and all the rest of it. Let me ask you a question. Did it cleanse her? No, but it was a point to say the sins of in the sins of Eve, you're carrying them. So we will cleanse you with this. How come we don't do that? Why don't we do that anymore? Because Peter get mad at you if you start killing doves. Everybody knows. But you see what I'm trying to get at? It was a symbol. It was to say you are alienated from God. So they would do the ceremonial side. Let's do the ceremony. Remember he talked about they were even um, tithing their mustard seeds. You ever seen how big a mustard seed is? Dude, they didn't have glasses then. How do you count out a tenth of your mustard seeds? Or cumin. You would count out a tenth of your seeds. Why? I can do this and God will look at that and think, that guy's a nut. That's what I would, if I was God, I'm sitting going, he's counting out mustard seeds. Can you believe he's counting out mustard seeds? Did, did his mother have any children that lived? Anyway, um, it becomes liturgical. It becomes ritualistic. Uh, and we do this in our forms of worship. Look at our worship services now. I have people who call, do you have a blended worship? A blended worship. What the heck is that? I don't know what a blended worship is. Jew and Gentile? What is that? I don't know what that is. Well, do you have contemporary worship? 
Eli's boys tried contemporary worship. We don't do that. Why? I, they just did. They just fell over dead. I'm thinking I don't want to walk that line. Paul says they never arrived out of the ritualistic. They decided instead of looking at the moral side of it, I'll go over here and I'll do the rituals. I'll do the sacrifices. I'll do the tithing. They never comprehended the intent. They wanted to pursue salvation. Be real careful. They wanted to pursue salvation by works. They wanted to pursue salvation by individual effort. I meet with people on, on occasions that when they, they're kind of, things ain't going right. And they want to talk to me. And I'm trying to do this and I'm trying to do that and I'm going to do this. And if I do that and, then we go, and, and I hear all of this personal pronoun stuff and, and I know right at that point it's impossible for me to help them. Okay? Their conscience is bothering them and they want me to try to make their conscience feel better. Well, let me tell you something. I would have to interrupt the person of the Holy Spirit and I'm outclassed there. Okay, if your conscience is bothering you, it ain't my fault. Also, if your conscience is bothering you, I can't help you. But God's working. God's working. I see so many who want to do the moral part. And I'll just summarize. I make mine, you know how I am. I like to keep it simple. I believe if you love the Lord your God, you're all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You got her whipped. Because if I love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, I won't have to worry about loving my neighbor. I won't have to worry about coveting. I won't have to worry about honoring my parents. I won't have to worry about any of those. Why? Because who's in control of me? God is. It's a piece of cake. So all you have to do is the first one. Just love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we all say, oh, okay. So why are you going to keep preaching? Why? Because I see people in the body of Christ right now who are trying to keep rituals. Okay? Listen, you want to get saved? Get saved. If you need me to badger you to get saved, you got a serious problem. I watch the church today where people never do really deal with the intent of God's moral law. We don't look at it. God's law drives us to despair. It drives us to hopelessness, helplessness, brokenness. And we substitute all of the externals, you know, the stand up, sit down candles, go through all the mechanics, and that we think that God will accept that as true religion and righteousness. And you have bought the devil's lie. That's why God hates sacramentalism. Because it is a deception. It never, that, all that does, the religiosity, the rituals, the ceremony, it will produce one thing and one thing only. You know what it is? Damnation. That's it. 
They never arrive. They never see the real intent. Chapter 10 of Romans, verse 3. For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. That's why I get people saying, well, you know, there was women in your church that were wearing pants. Well, that's better than going pantless. Well, how can you be a preacher and have a beard? You see me with sharp things? You don't want me shaving on a regular basis. Do you see what I'm trying to get at? I get people who do that and they run around. I cannot believe it. You ride a motorcycle. How can you do that? Because I hate pushing them. It ain't that complicated, people. I don't understand some of this. Why? They all of a sudden have created their own standard of righteousness. That's silly. And it goes on and on and on and on. The Jews just didn't know about God's righteousness and they sought their own level of righteousness. I don't know. Do you think God was less righteous? I know people right now who carry a grudge. Right? I I know no one in this room does. But I have run into people who carry a grudge against somebody. And you know what is funny? I ask them, did God forgive you? Uh Uh-huh. What did he forgive you of? Everything. And now you can't. So your standard of righteousness is now higher than God's. Yay. And what happens is people get into the ritual. You know what? I go to church twice a year. Christmas and Easter, the high holy days. And then the rest of the year, I worship my own way. I read my Bible. I pray. Really? You're telling me the church, which was purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. If you look at your New Testament, you will find out that it is written to churches and church leaders. I'm thinking there's an emphasis here. When Paul was on the road to Damascus to arrest Christians and Jesus showed up, he said, why are you persecuting my church, Paul? No, he says, why are you persecuting me? Jesus says, there's no difference between me and my church. Do not forsake the assembly together, which is the habit of many. Why does God tell us that kind of stuff? It's easy. You can either be in the world or you can be with the saints. And you know what? I don't care who you are. Whoever you spend most time with will have the most influence on you and you will act like them people. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. It's a terrible deception. You know, when I think about this, that they set up their own standard of righteousness. Remember when they brought the woman in adultery to Jesus? Okay, this woman is in adultery. What would you do? And he says, you who was without sin cast the first stone and they walked off. Do you understand how hypocritical that was? Because if I'm not mistaken, for her to commit adultery... Wasn't there someone else? And I wonder where he was. Okay, because it does say stone them if they commit adultery. Absolutely. Okay, but it's two. 
That's why Jesus could look at these men straight in the eyes, the most religious of the day, the most ceremonial of the day, those people who had the law of Moses down to an art, and he could look them right in the eye and say, you are of your father, the devil. And where I go, you will never come. That doesn't sound real encouraging, does it? Couldn't he have said it another way? No. I remember when I first got understood that I was being called to the pulpit. And I kept thinking, you know, with my background and my life and where I came from, I know exactly where I would minister. Okay. You know, I'm going to deal with the scooter trash. I'm going to deal with the druggies and all of these people. It's going to be a piece of cake. It's going to be wonderful. You know what? Never happened. He threw me eyeball deep into the Pharisees. I'd rather have the scooter trash. But I was eyeball deep in Pharisees. And that's what I get continually to fight with. And they're just such pleasant people. The problem is, is that those who are in and pushing the old covenant usually forsake the moral part of it. And they flip it to the ceremonial part of it. And they never deal with the moral issues. And that is their spiritual deadness. That is when Adam can say, I've rebelled against God, but I can hide from him. Really? How spiritually dead do you suppose that man was? Those people have never been driven to brokenness. They've never been driven to repentance. They never will embrace Jesus Christ by grace through faith. So when I think about this, I think about the frustration that the law brings to a man, women. They look at it and they think, oh, gee, what a standard. You know, they like to throw it out. Be perfect for your father is perfect. Okay. I know that none of you guys have been had that thrown at you, but I have. Why? Because we try We're putting our effort into it. And God says, you know what? You can't do it. You have to come to me in despair and humility. How can there... You ever thought about the gospel, the new covenant? How in the world could you have pride if you truly came to the gospel in Jesus Christ? Pride in anything. How could you? Anything. I don't pick anything. Well, I can sow really well. I can't. But uh, I don't know. Pick something. You know, when I cut the grass, it just stays cut. It does. Because I cut it so short it turns into dirt. Okay? But you see what I'm trying to get at? But yet you watch the evangelical church and it is prideful. It is boastful. We have our TV shows. If it's not boastful, how come we have whole industries of Christian publishing? Tell me why. The pulpit is not immune to pride. And one of the things that I see happening is that when we fail to confront sin, our sin. Now, listen, you got to understand something here. We love confronting other people's sin. Okay? It's so simple. But the question is, have you ever confronted your sin? Verse 18 of chapter 3 of 2 Corinthians says, We, with unveiled face, behold in a mirror, What? What? You've read it. 
What do you see when you look into a mirror? You better be seeing the glory of Christ, his image. Now then, i got to ask you one simple question. What do you suppose you can do to enhance that? What are you going to do to make, when I look in the mirror, I look more like Jesus? Gosh, that's an ugly looking Jesus. <laughs> what are you going to do? Well, how in the world can you walk into that thing with pride? Hey, when I look in the mirror, I see. Ooh. See, that's the real deadness that exists. There's three forms of it. One is despair. I'm dead man. I'm a walking dead man. Second one is, oh, I'm only going to be eternally separated from God forever in hell. That's all. Okay. All it'll be is weeping and gnashing of teeth, worms eating flesh eternally, and pitch blackness with the smell of sulfur. Huh. And I have a spiritual deadness that actually believes that my pride and my effort, I can literally get to God somehow. The Jews had completely missed the whole intent of God's law. Its purpose. Talk about dead. They were really dead. Okay, now then back to your text. Second Corinthians. I want to show you this because I set up a contrast Paul has set up a contrast and it says it's not of the letter, but of the spirit. The letter kills, the spirit gives life. Okay. I want you to see that the old covenant is a path of life. Okay. Leviticus tells us it's a path of life. Right. But what it does to get you on the path of life, it crushes you. It says you are helpless, hopeless, and depraved. If you go look at Romans chapter 1, verse 18 through 320, you will see that God, in his mercy, keeps giving them over the passions of their flesh to immoral things. Then he gives them over and he gives them over. And they try to take idols and worship them idols. And he gives them over to it. And he gives them over to it. And then he finally gives them over to what he called a depraved mind. Okay, the word depraved means found useless for its intended purpose. Okay, do you know what happens when a person is given over to a depraved mind? Romans says they start their own style of worship, their own style of religion. Is that alive and well flourishing in the United States? Why? We've been given over to a useless for its intended purpose, so I will make a religious system that I enjoy. But we are the ministers of a new covenant which brings... Life. You have a spiritual deadness. And next week we'll look at a spiritual life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for my brother Paul. 
the amazing things that you have used that even this day his people are strengthened by the words you have presented to him and through him. Father, I pray that uh, as we draw upon your word, as we draw upon the amazing things that you have given us, that we understand that because we are ministers of this new covenant, that we give life. Father, we our same message. Help us to understand, each and every one of us, that our same message is life to the living and death to the dying. It is a ministry of life. It is a ministry of condemnation. And Father, it is only you who make us adequate for this. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for this glorious day. Thank you for the amazing things you have done. And Father, may we walk worthy. May we walk humble. May we walk in the power of the risen King. In Christ's name, amen.